We'll be reading Jeremiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 18, and we'll be reading into chapter 12 through verse 13. So I am not thrilled with the chapter divisions here, so we are going to break it up a little bit, and you'll see how they are well connected uh, here in this portion. So Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 18 is where we'll begin, and we'll read through 12, 13. I'll read out, out of the New King James Version. As is my custom, God's word declares, Now the Lord gave me knowledge of it, and I know it, for you showed me their doings. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter, and I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have revealed my cause. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by our hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them, for I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anathoth, even the year of their punishment. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them, yes, they have taken root, they grow, yes, they bear fruit. You are near their mouth, but far from their mind. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me, and you have tested my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter, and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn, and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there, because they said, He will not see our final end. If you have run with the footmen, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace you trusted, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? For even your brothers, the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Yes, they have called a multitude after you. Do not believe them, even though they speak smooth words to you. I have forsaken my house. I have left my heritage. I have given the dearly beloved of my soul in the hand of her enemies. My heritage is to me like a lion in the forest. It cries out against me. Therefore, I have hated it. My heritage is to me like a speckled vulture. The vultures all around are coming against her. Come, assemble all the beasts of the field. Bring them to devour. Many rulers have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate. Desolate, it mourns me. The whole land is made desolate because no one takes it to heart. The plunders have come on all the desolate heights in the wilderness for the sword of the Lord shall devour from one end of the land to the other end of the land. No flesh shall have peace. They have sown wheat but reaped thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but do not profit, but are ashamed of their harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Well, as I said 
before our Bible reading, we are going to handle a, a span not only this week but next week that is going to cross chapter divisions. Um, and that is going to be necessary because of content. Uh, remember, please, that the chapter and verse divisions were added later. They are not part of the original text um, and added those for our convenience of locating them so you could turn your Bible and not start at the beginning and have to read to find the place. And so uh, we're going to begin in chapter 11, 18, um, and you will see the connection very uh, strongly made into uh, the uh, content that we find in the first 13 verses of chapter 12. Before we look into all this, let's go, Lord, in prayer together this morning. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word before us. We pray that you might help us to understand it, that it might register in our mind. Uh, But Lord, we want to do more than just understand it. We want to bring it into our very lives. And so uh, we trust in you by your spirit to uh, open your word to us, uh, that we might uh, be known by you as those that have hearts ready to listen and not just hear and that we might be receptive and acknowledging your authority in our life and the power that you would work in us if we would simply surrender and allow you to do so. And Lord, we want to have that spirit this morning and each day you might work in us. And Lord, that you might uh, just guard what is said this morning from error, from opinion, from philosophies of this world, that it might um, be your truth. And we depend upon your spirit to guide us into that and ask you might give us wisdom that is from above. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have come to uh, a portion where Jeremiah is starting to feel the pressure of being a prophet of truth in a community that wants to only be lied to. Um, and he starts to feel it. And we have expected this to come because God said it would come. He warned Jeremiah, this was on the horizon, that people are not going to want to listen, but you're going to have to harden yourself. Um, And that's not harden yourself in terms of bitterness and stubbornness. Um, Rather, it's, it's that whole idea of being able to persist even while very compassionately loving those that you're speaking to, that you're going to have to be bolstered in making sure that you do not compromise the truth just to make them smile. That you're going to have to say what God tells you to say, and those are going to be some hard words, and people aren't going to want to listen to that. And in fact, they're not going to want to listen to it to such a degree that they'll be uh, prepared to do injury to you to uh, stop you from communicating that. And so this is really where Jeremiah has uh, first encountered it. And as we shared last week very briefly, uh, the first place he got it was at home. His hometown. Remember that he is the son of a priestly family, and he is now being called to condemn, first and foremost, the priests of the land, which would be his father, his uncle, his his relatives, his tribe, uh, his family group, his clan. And so this is where his opposition is really going to begin. But it's really just the beginning. 
as we're going to see as God confronts him a little bit with it, with the idea as, as Jeremiah has a little bit of a complaint about this. And so we find that God has shown him the sin of the people. Um, and really, verse 18 uh, brings together all of what we saw of the main categories of sin that we have studied for several weeks now. How we got from being the people of God to being worshipers of the Queen of Heaven. Um, how do we get to the point from uh, serving the one true and living God who gives blessing and life to sacrificing our children to the fire? How do we get from there? And so um, God has shown the whole gamut to Jeremiah. Showed him that whole, uh, the, the categories of sin. Uh, we talked about the broken covenant last week. Um, and so we, we find that uh, they've gotten into idolatry a couple of weeks ago, and we saw the abandonment of truth three weeks ago. And so this is how they got there. And so um, Jeremiah's conclusion of this in verse 18 is that the God gave me knowledge of all of this. He showed me how they went from being the people of God to being his mortal enemies. And we really mean mortal enemies. He's prepared to slaughter them all. He is about to do some large injury upon them as a people. And so he says, they've shown me their doings. And now, having preached the word of the Lord, he is about to be encounter the first opposition of a serious nature that uh, in his experience, although he has been warned, and while we have seen that there has been those that uh, have perhaps murmured this, but now we have them actually coming together, intent and purposed on, uh, on conspiring against the man, Jeremiah. We find them willing to uh, set traps for him, and we're going to see those down the road. Uh, they're going to set snares. And those snares, those traps that are intended to do what they want to do, and that is to cut him off from the land of the living, to destroy the tree with its fruit, he says, to... to uh, Eradicate his name from the face of the earth. Those all started um, not by mean looks and not by um, gnashing of the teeth and not by uh, threats. They actually started by soothing, subtle words, trying to entice him into uh, a trust of them. When God says, don't trust them, they've tried to invite him in. And we really find uh, God telling Jeremiah later on, he says, don't listen to their words. Um, he goes into verse 6 of chapter 12. He says, um, you know, your own family, your, your brothers, your house of your father, they're dealing treacherously. They're trying to trick you. They've called a multitude after you, do not believe them, even though they speak smooth words to you, is the word there. Um, and they speak a, really just a, a lot of good words. And so they are trying to set you up. They're trying to lift you up so they can bring you down. And there are several ways to destroy a prophet of God. Um, and you don't have to necessarily go out and kill him. All you have to do is convince him to stop telling the truth. That's all you have to do is to convince him not to listen to his own message, to convince him to stop speaking the message of the Lord, and then you don't have to kill him because God will take care of that for you. 
And we have several examples of that in the Bible where men misspoke or put their own words instead of God's word, and God's word, you're condemned. Uh, We have other prophets who prophesied one thing, they knew what they were supposed to do, and they're heading home, and a false prophet comes up and says, oh, you know, come over to my house, and God told him to go straight home, and he listens to the false prophet instead of the Lord, and he ends up being eaten by a lion. And so these guys know the history, They know this information, and so if they can convince Jeremiah with lots of treacherous, smooth uh, words to convince him to kind of moderate his message, can you just ease it up a little bit? You know, can't you just give us some hope and some messages of peace? Can you just uh, recognize that we are doing some things right for God? Uh, Why do you have to be so mean all the time? Does that sound familiar? Can't you just be nice sometimes? And then you will, um, we'll, we'll let you speak. But to speak other than what the Lord communicates means his destruction. And so they were conspiring, it says. They are, they are being treacherous. They are not being honest and forthright. And so the warning is there. And uh, the... Uh, Opposition has strongly arisen. And God is going to take care of it if you will trust him. And God has already communicated, as we shared briefly last week, that his intention is that his judgment of Judah is going to begin with, Jeremiah, your hometown. It's going to begin with your family who are trying to destroy you. And Jeremiah, while he is recognizing there is an enemy and he wants God to defend him, to, to uh, take vengeance, it says, on them. He says, I want to see your vengeance on them on my behalf. Um, I, when it comes to realizing this is your own family we're talking about, um, oh, no. <laughs> Do I want to see the Lord's wrath poured out on them. And Jeremiah is going to have an engagement with God. Because he sees that when God's hand is truly poured out against those whom he has entered into judgment against, that it is, we'll use the word in verse 23, catastrophic. This is a catastrophe. And here it comes. And it concludes in verse 23 by even helping Jeremiah understand that this isn't something that's going to be far off, but this is near at hand. It's going to happen in close proximity of time. The chronology has been moved up. It's something you can anticipate soon. This is the year of their judgment, of their punishment. And so Jeremiah comes to God then having uh, understood the sin, having understood the necessity of the judgment, having experienced some opposition from home, and now he's being challenged to maybe moderate his message a little bit, to back off of it somewhat, to not be so mean. Can't you find something good to say? And he's being challenged by that, all the while pouring himself out to God over those that are trying to kill him. And God is about to exercise himself, and now Jeremiah is going to rethink this. After all, he was raised in this family. These are his brothers. This is his father. 
in the midst of their upbringing, he has come to love the Lord and to follow after him. Certainly that should be to their credit to some degree. And so there's this conflict going on in Jeremiah's mind, and he pours it out before the Lord, and we have it presented to us in chapter 12, verse 1, where we have this engagement for four verses. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. And so he has pled in verse 20 to uh, defend him and to, to act righteously on his behalf. And now he recognizes that, oh boy, maybe this isn't, maybe I'm getting what I asked for and it was a little bit more than what I had thought. But yet the Lord is righteous. He's going to respond. So if he's responded to that, let me... Press it a little bit further. And this is not uncommon among the Old Testament saints in their engagement with God where they establish one principle or or experience or point with God and want to take it the next step, almost kind of testing to see how far God goes. And we've seen it, have we not? We we see it with Moses. We've seen it with Abraham. We we have seen multiple occasions where the people of God, the the men of God, when they're engaging God, want to find out, well, where is this parameter? Where where is the extent? How far does this go? How far can I engage God? And to some degree, we see it in the book of Job. We see it with Jacob. We we see it in many places. How far can we go in this engagement of um, of calling God to what I consider fairness. And so he presses it a little bit further. In the middle of verse, it says, Yet, let me talk with you about judgments. Can I give you some advice, God, about your judgments? Can I ask you about your execution of them? And and uh, just doesn't seem like it's working out quite the way it should. You ever find yourself giving God advice? Wanting to give God advice? Um, Jeremiah found himself there. Can I talk to you about your judgments? You're going to lay it on my family. You're going to obliterate this village, this community, because they have the first to oppose the message that you've given to me and wanted to uh, kill me. Uh, And while whether Jeremiah recognized that it was his immediate family or not at that point, um, because obviously chapter 12, 6 comes later, um, here he is recognizing that, uh, you know, maybe they aren't the worst people. You know, I want you to judge the wicked, just, um, I'm not sure that my family are the most wicked. I think they're probably where you should start over there. And it's amazing to see how we are ready and willing to accommodate and defend sometimes and look past the sins within our own family. I think there's only one category of sin that we're more willing to overlook, and that is our own. (laughs) To excuse it, to rationalize it, is to just overlook that. And so God is going, or Jeremiah is going to call God and say, "Um, I want to talk to you about this. And he says, listen, uh, you're going to take it to this community and um, they're going to be slaughtered. They're going to be punished. It's going to start there. Um, But my question to you is, why does the way of the wicked 
prosper. I mean, these are kind of, these aren't the worst. Why is the way of the wicked? Why are you letting them be planted? Why are you letting them bear fruit? Why are you extending them? Why are those, why do they seem happy when they are full of treachery? It seems that they have everything that people long for. Look at the list. They're prosperous. They're happy. They've rooted. They've borne fruit. And Jeremiah looks at them and says, well, why don't you start there by stopping that? That would seem to me to be the beginning, the right place to start your judgments is right there. Um, these people have your name on their lips, but this says their mind is far from you. They have no thoughts of you during all of their ways. They'll use your name. They know who you are. They'll give some lip service to you, but in their mind and the choices they're making, it's obvious that they do not truly know you. And then he asks God to consider him. And But you, O Lord, know me. You've seen me. You've tested my heart toward you. Uh, and so he's inviting God, as he defends him, to pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. He's inviting God to go through the community and start marking the really black sheep. And as a young man on a sheep farm, I know what exactly what Jeremiah is inviting God to do. Uh, when the guy from Hormel Meats shows up, because he's to figure out which sheep to butcher, you pour the corn in the thing, they all line up, and he walks by and puts big X's on the ones that are going first. Those are your best. We herd them out, we put them on a truck, and that's what we get our best price for. Take them first, the fat ones, the, the healthiest, the best. And then we go back to that trough, having taken out those others, and he marks through the next group. Another price for those. And what Jeremiah understands is that pretty much all of these ones at the trough are going to be destroyed. <laughs> right? We understand every one, every one of those sheep at the trough is going to the butchers. We just want to know who's going to go first. Who are you going to mark out for slaughter first? And Jeremiah is saying what every meat Slaughterhouse is going to do. We're going to mark the fattest first. Well, these seem to be fattest in their sin. They seem to be enjoying all of this. And, and I'm asking you that you would mark them out for slaughter. Pull them out. And bring them to the slaughterhouse first. And certainly, um, even though God has made the case and stated First, it's going to start, essentially, in your own household by the men of Anathoth. And then we are told that there is the reason, one of the reasons that Jeremiah wants God to start with these others 
with these that have lined themselves up and fattened themselves on evil and treachery is because of the injury that they are doing against every the nature, if you will, the herb of the field. The beasts and the birds are consumed. The land is mourning. Um, that where they live, there's wickedness, and its effect is upon the blessings of God that are associated with the land in Israel, with the harvests. And they're in their fatness and in their happiness, in their prosperity, in their rootedness, um, they have this statement to make. And this is a very powerful statement. They're saying that, Jeremiah, you're not going to last as long as we will. It says, he will not see our final end. You're not going to see us die, we're going to see you die. There's this smugness that's about them. And Jeremiah says, can you start your judgments there with these who are smugly against you, who use your name on their lips but have their minds far from you, who are enveloped in this wickedness and your your blessings have left the land because of their wickedness. Um, Start with them. And this is the challenge that Jeremiah has presented before the Lord. And we come to a portion of Scripture now that uh, we're going to spend a, a majority of our time on. Building up to this now, here's Jeremiah's concern. Here's his challenge to God over the, me- the mechanism and the manner of God's judgments. Here is God's response. This is going to sound a lot like how God answered Job. Here we go. Are you ready? I, I doubt you're ready, but we're going to press on into it. God challenges him with a question. Actually, several. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace you trusted, how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? Jeremiah is really early in his ministry, and God is challenging him a little bit. Listen, this first opposition is nothing compared to what's coming. Right now, you're just running with other men. Right now, you are just running along with footmen. Right now, you are just contending with them that are really at your level. And if you're weary already, do you understand that I have a lot more coming that are of a lot stronger nature than the opposition that you're encountering today. There is opposition coming that without me in your life, you cannot. Obviously, men can't contend with horses. But God expects his prophets to. I expect you to be able to take on horses. It's a fascinating look at the history of Israel. Remember that they weren't allowed chariots? Why? So that they could remember that You can take on horses as men if the Lord is on your side. You weren't supposed to trust in chariots. You weren't supposed to trust in horses. You were to trust in the Lord. And so here, God is confronting Jeremiah as Jeremiah seeks to almost confront God. God says, okay, um, you know what? If this is a problem now, early on, and you're struggling at this point, 
How are you going to be able to contend later on when it gets horribly worse? If you can't trust me here, how are you going to trust me there against horses? Because you're going to have to go against an enemy that from every reasonable perspective is going to overwhelm you. But if you trust in me and follow me, you will succeed. How are you going to endure worse? And that's my question for us today. For the Christian community today is, from God, how are you going to endure worse? When we are really pathetic at enduring what we get now. And I think we're all honest enough people to recognize that right now it costs very little to be what we claim to be, to be Christians. We, we think that uh, um, if I get a little, <laughs> let's see, I, I can pick on you guys this morning. If I get a little allergy, some sickness, let's see, a little age, a little creaky in the bones, um, if my kids are disruptive, that that's suffering for Jesus getting them all to church. And you think you've endured because you've gotten your family here. And if you think that's struggle, you aren't ready to endure. We congratulate ourselves because we have, over, we have overcome these insignificant things that we imagine are struggles. But they are nothing compared to what's really coming from God's Word's perspective. And we are, I'm not saying that there aren't genuine oppositions that we need to overcome today. Um, in fact, this was a real opposition, and God is going to respond. He's going to wham, just eliminate it. He's going to destroy this village. He's going to uh, demonstrate to Jeremiah that anyone comes against you because you're speaking my truth, they are my enemies. And that's a powerful principle, and it's a wonderful thing to establish. Um, but if, the, if you're struggling at that point, as Jeremiah is evidencing here, and God challenges him, says, if you're struggling now at this point, with watching my hand go against your enemies, what are you going to do down there? When we are struggling against some opposition, minor oppositions today, and we let it get us down and discouraged, and we start asking stupid questions like, oh, why, God, did you let this happen? Um, when half of the problems we encounter of our own making. Tonight, we're going to be talking, Galatians, about walking the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about the other side, really, to Jeremiah, and it's a Great contrast between this morning and tonight. Hope you should come back tonight and get, get the positive side of it. But the challenge this morning is you're not ready. If you think this is a battle, if you think this is hardship, if you think it's, it's difficult to follow the Lord here and now, you have no idea what's coming. We challenge our young people to try to take some kind of a stand and, and um, 
what they're encountering in public schools is just a taste of what it's becoming. Uh, You try to be a godly person in there. And we see it infiltrating into their thoughts, into their language, that we can't any longer talk about husbands and wives. We have to talk about partners. Who's your partner? Why? Because they have been trained in that PC language that permits sin. It's getting worse, and it's going to be getting even worse and ugly. And the question that God has, if you're weary now, how are you going to be able to endure when it gets worse? This past Friday, my wife and I were at a dinner for her work and um, sat down at a table with strangers. We didn't get there in time to find anyone that she knew, really. And uh, so we sat down. There's a big table, 10 seats, only two people there, a younger gal and older gal. We sat down beside him, introduced ourselves. And then someone came and sat down on the other side of this, these two gals. And, and the first question that this lady asked of these two ladies was, so are you married? I'm like, that, that's the first question you think? She says, no, this is my grandmother. <laughs> yeah, they weren't the same age at all. <laughs> but that's the mentality of our society today. And it's going to get worse. A lot worse. And so the challenge by God is, you know, you can sit there and complain and be wearied in the, in the battle of, that God has called us to, um, that, that the saints have been called to for generations, and, we, and we're wearied now. And it's, do you not understand the words of Christ when he says, when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? His expectation is it's going to be a rare thing. Are you ready for that kind of environment? The, the Daniel says that in the last years that the saints will be given into the hand of the man of sin. Are you ready for that? And we can't endure today. Because these challenges are just too much for us. I have to get up in the morning. I have to overcome whatever. The room being a little chilly this morning. Somebody turned the temperature down Wednesday night. We can make up all these things and all they show is that you are unprepared to endure. God has challenged Jeremiah, saying, wait a minute, did I not tell you from the beginning that you must, through much tribulation, do this job? And we have from God's word, early on, from Paul in the book of Acts, that you must, through much tribulation, enter in the kingdom of God. Doesn't say a little, doesn't say imagined, doesn't say uncomfortable things. It says, much tribulation.
And so the question that Jeremiah is asked by God is a question that is, needs to be asked of this generation of believers is that if we are already wearied with running with normal men, how are we going to go against the horses to come? Because it is going to get worse as the promise of God in his word And then it gets worse. The second half of the verse presses it even further. It says, and you do realize that any italicized word in your Bible is inserted to try to make sense of the Greek or Hebrew, in this case Hebrew. And uh, so literally it says, and in the land of peace you trusted, then how will you do in the floodplain or literally the marshes of the Jordan? You've been out here on solid ground. Um, you've been in pleasant place called the land of peace, and you've been able to preach uh, to the choir, so to speak. You've been able to be here ministering where it's easy, um, and you're weary doing that. How in the world are you going to handle it when I call you to go down there and slaw through the marshes of the Jordan River and flood stage when I'm going to have you serve down there? How are you going to endure that if you can't? Endure this easily. How can you be wearied here when I still have that waiting for you? And this is the challenge to our Christian faith. That when we see the Bible talk about the man of sin, that he's going to wear out the saints, that he's going to erode our faith and erode it down, and that we're going to be wearied by little things. That any little thing will disrupt our faith in God. Any little thing will disrupt our walk in the Spirit. Any little thing can disrupt my my uh, uh, activity for God, my service to God. Any little thing. And where is the spiritual toughness that it takes to endure horses and swamps that are coming? In-laws shared a family left their church because the pastor mentioned something negative about Jehovah's Witnesses from the pulpit and they have family members that are Jehovah's Witnesses so they left. Really? We are so spiritually weak and sensitive and Wearied by the slightest slight, imagined or otherwise. The challenge is still today. How are you going to endure worse when you are tired of this? When this little stuff of this earth, because things don't quite go your way, because it's a little uncomfortable. Um, weary you in your walk with the Lord. How are you going to endure worse? The warning is there. Don't listen to your family. Don't put them first. You're going to serve me first. 
Um, any allegiance to, that, to your family that bends you from your calling of God is treachery. Please let that settle on your mind and heart and shoulders a little bit. Any allegiance to your family that bends you from the calling of God upon your life is treachery. Our allegiance is to the Lord, and when we trust in him fully, um, there is no one that can dissuade us, that can soften us, because we have a spiritual toughness that faith brings that enables us to endure anyone coming against us and everyone coming against us. We will stand. And there's no mistaking that over and over again in the New Testament, what is the instruction to the believer? Stand fast. God warned us. Jesus warned his disciples. Your own relatives, your closest relatives, are going to think they're doing a favor to society by turning you in and having you killed. Stand fast. You cannot let familial bonds and familial relationship bend you away from the calling of God on your life. It can never do that. And so God calls to Jeremiah, and and remember, Jeremiah is a sensitive guy. So we're not talking about you just being this this stone-faced, hard person. This is the man of tears. This is the weeping prophet. He's sensitive to the needs, and, and he sees what's about to come in his family that year. And God says, listen, do not let that, that is treachery, to let your feelings for them bend you away from my calling on your life because it will destroy you as surely as their evil is destroying them. And this we see in our society today. The worship of family above the worship of God. My wife had a little lamb tell her this week, I love Jesus more than my mom and dad. More than I love my mom and dad. I don't think she meant that she loved Jesus more than they loved her, but more than I love my mom and dad. Oh, that we would encourage that in each of us. I'm pretty sure Jesus says, unless you hate these familial relations in comparison to your love for me, You're not worthy of me. This is the spirit of endurance. And so Jeremiah was challenged by God. You cannot believe. You cannot trust in that. You cannot listen to them because they are dealing treacherously with you. They're going to destroy you. And he even tells them they've already called out a multitude after you. They've already gathered a posse to chase you down and hunt you. Even while you're trying to hear, to try to delay their judgment. Well, how bad is it going to get? And that's the balance of what God has to tell Jeremiah that day. And this is what God has done for us. He doesn't just say it's easy now and it's going to get worse. He's going to tell you exactly how it's going to get worse. 
And so he begins to again describe to Jeremiah how hard this is on him. And that God isn't enjoying this, but it is necessary because of the sin that's there that he has shown to Jeremiah. And he talks about it in verse 7. It says, listen, I'm not asking anything of you that I haven't already done. I'm asking you to forsake your family to tell the truth to the nation in preparation for my judgment. Now I want to tell you what I've done. I have forsaken my house and have left my heritage. I have heard individuals in my office say, God's asking too much of me. It doesn't usually verbalize that way. Usually it's, Pastor, you're asking too much of me, but all I asked of them was what God asked. So it wasn't me asking it of them, it was God. When I read you a verse, you say, Pastor, you're asking too much. Is You're not talking to me. You're talking to God. God says, Jeremiah, I'm not asking too much of you. This is what I'm doing. Is I've had to turn my back on them because I cannot tolerate that sin. And now those who are called my people, it says, are roaring against me. And therefore, compared to my relationship with them before, it says, now I've had to hate them. And he goes on for another illustration. This is kind of a scary illustration. Um, My people is like a speckled vulture and whatever bird that is, whether it's a vulture or chicken or whatever, it doesn't matter because it's pretty much consistent in the aviary world. Um, what happens when you have a vulture that's speckled? The other vultures come and peck at it. It happens to my chickens, too. If there's one that loses some feathers and has a bald spot, everybody else got to go peck at it. God says, this is what's happened to my people. They're like a, to me, they're like a speckled vulture, and the vultures all around are against her. I'm going to have to call the beasts of the field to devour them. Recognize that this is my inheritance. This is my heritage. These are my people, including your family and you, but all of Judah, all of Israel. They were my inheritance. They were my house. This has not been an easy thing for me to do, and I'm not calling you to do something I have not demanded of myself. Yes, there have been Many, it says, many um, rulers there, it says. Um, it's not actually the Hebrew word for rulers. It's, it's really the Hebrew word for a shepherd. Uh, there have been many who have come in and destroyed my flock. And yes, your family might not be the worst, but they are among them. And so there are many that have come in and done that. And I am, they, they have taken it and, and made it desolate. And the word desolate just keeps pounding at us in verses 10, 11, and 12. Do you see the pounding word of desolate, 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 desolate? This is the place that God said would be a place flowing with milk and honey. 
This is the place of blessing and promise. And these people have made it desolate. Yes, it would be a wonderful thing if every one of my family members would love the Lord and serve him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we could do so in unity and in, and in truth and love and all those things, that would be wonderful. But the reality is, is that when that doesn't happen, I will not move. Because of those tender cords that are tied to those familial relations. I'd rather sever those than sever my calling before the Lord. Just as God is going to sever Israel, Judah, because they have made desolate what was once blessed by their own sin. And I've been called a lot of names by family members for doing that very act of severing those relationships on the foundation of God's word and truth and I have been the guilty one in their eyes never mind that they have made desolate and necessitated the act you make me choose I will always sever this one and never that one You make your life desolate by walking away from righteousness. And it doesn't mean that I do not feel those feelings that other people have, but rather (laughs) I see the necessity that I need to prepare myself to battle in the swamps, to go against horses. And that's first measured by an unweary stand where it's peaceful and easy against footmen. And brethren, we need to be prepared in our hearts to endure. Why? Because the fact is The fierce anger of the Lord is the alternative. Which is the last phrase of our passage this morning. That's what he's pouring out on his blessed, on his beloved, on his house, on his own people. Because they have made desolate what was blessed. They've made it desolate by their wickedness. They've trodden it and reacted treacherously. And so a choice must be had. And Jeremiah is challenged by God, don't soften by familial feelings. Do not let them bend you from your calling in my kingdom. Let nothing bend you. Does not mean that we cease 
that we become embittered. It doesn't mean that we become hard-hearted, but rather that we are, are sensitive to the necessity of righteousness and of truth and the dictates that God has for us, that we are sensitive to him and recognizing that this is the only hope is to call them to righteousness and not to wallow with them in their desolation. The only way to do that is to take the highest ground to run against the footmen as practice for running against the horses that we're going to have to do. It may come sooner than any of you are really ready, and so I have to challenge you. Don't grow weary in the land of peace because the the marshes, the swamps are coming. And if your legs can't function without those hindrances, what are you going to do then? Gird up your loins, the Bible says. Gird them up. Because the evil one is who we run against. And sometimes the evil one's people are those that we are tender towards familiarly and can easily bend us to deny the one who's called us. And that, brethren, it would be our desolation. And so we are called to righteousness to a stand that the world would say would call us mean, would call us callous, would call us many other things, but we recognize that this is the demand of those who are going to be trained to endure. Because we know what's coming. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And it's challenge. And Lord, we acknowledge before you that we have too often allowed insignificant things to weary us in our walk with you and our faith in you and our trust in our walking your spirit. And we are unprepared for what's coming. We would all like to believe that we would stand fast given harsh and violent opposition But the evidence is that we would crumble for we are wearied by such small things. And forgive us, Lord. You have truly instructed us of what the end will be and the difficulties that are there. You have warned us of the evil one's intent to try to wear us out, to run us down with in times of ease. We have seen the example of Israel and Judah who in their bounty left off following you. And Lord, forgive us if we have walked in that way. Lord, even as we take a stand for your righteousness, it is easy to grow weary when we let those natural things interfere with the supernatural that we have with you. So we thank you for the reminder today.
as you have reminded your servant Jeremiah. Trust in you with all of our heart, with all of our tenderness, to trust in you and to follow after you. Come weal or woe. We thank you for your Spirit's presence to help us in that. And we pray that we might follow it fully, that we might be strengthened and ready rather than wearied and unprepared to stand in that day. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.